And so we kind of used that confidence to ultimately move forward and take down our own deal because we thought, okay, if we can turn around a deal where we've got basically no budget and, you know, 40% of units up and running, we should be able to, you know, get our own deal uh, if it starts off on the right foot. It's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it, what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host, Jerome Myers, brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Mark Weissy with me today. Mark, where are you in the country, man? Yeah, I'm presently in Virginia, uh, Eastern Virginia, along the Chesapeake Bay area. No way. I'm coming to Williamsburg tomorrow. How about that? Wow. Okay. Maybe we could, I don't know if your your schedule allows, but I'd love to meet up with you. That's awesome. So for the listeners, they're asking, man, why see, we see, where's this guy? Who is this guy? Where is he from? Give him a little bit about your background. Absolutely. Yeah. So outside of COVID times, I'm normally based in Northern New Jersey, the New York City suburbs. And I'm I knew I heard an accent. I knew yeah. I heard an accent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you can take the boy out of Jersey, right? But um, so uh, I'm a multifamily investor. Myself and my partner are co-founders of Maple Capital Partners. And we're emerging syndicators. We've done our first deal this year and uh, learned a ton along the way. Wow. First deal. Well, that deserves a round of applause, I think. I mean, everybody's out looking for deals. We're trying to figure out if it's actually a deal. What's COVID pricing? And I mean, sometimes you just got to get the thing across the finish line. So congrats on that. I uh, what, what state, what markets are you buying? Yeah. So we're focused on the Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee markets. Smoking hot. It's really difficult to get there. So was your deal in one of those two? It was. Yeah, it's in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, man. I, I hear good things about that market. I don't know a lot about it, but some pretty sharp people are going in there. So I think you're in pretty good company. And so, you know, this show is all about all the perfection that everybody has on all their deals. And so that deal went flawlessly and you guys have already sold it and made 10x on your money, right? <laughs> Not quite. We took over in September and it's been, uh, you know, it's been a lot of interesting seminars, but it's been great so far. Wait, you took over. What do you mean you took over? <laughs> took over the property. Right. From the, the old owner. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was like, wait, did he take over from a syndicator when he was an LP well, or, or did that happen? That did happen. Yeah, that's a related, unrelated story, unrelated property, but that did happen. All right. You got to give me the skinny on that. What do you mean? You were an LP and you took over a deal when you had a GP who brought you in. Yeah, absolutely. So this was uh, back in 2018. And I can kind of set the context of, of where we were at at that point. We were just starting to learn about multifamily. Uh, both my partner and I had partnered on a couple of deals in the residential space in northern New Jersey, which was our, our target market, our home, really, at that point. And we were ready to kind of transition on to uh, bigger and better things. So we were looking at where could we learn from somebody while we're earning? So earning while we're learning. And we didn't know about syndications yet. We didn't know about the legality and all of that stuff, uh, nor had a, had a vet a sponsor for that matter. And we decided to, uh, we had been speaking with one group who was based uh, not too far away. Uh, and uh, we decided to 
go with them to invest with them as LPs. Okay. And so you said you didn't know how to vet a sponsor. <laughs> not, pro- not properly, no. So what is that? What does that mean? So somebody's out there like vet a sponsor. I mean, are you a veterinarian or like, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean when you say vet a sponsor? Absolutely. Yeah. So for us as investors on the passive side, the first and foremost concern is really who is running that deal. Because you could have the most smoking deal on paper in the world. When it comes down to it, it's about the execution. And do the people that are running the particular deal you know, have your best interest in mind? And do they have the experience to allow them to achieve what they're saying they can achieve? And that's basically the, the vetting of the, the sponsor is looking first and foremost at their, their track record. As, and then only once you're comfortable with them, looking at the deal itself. Okay. And so what did you find out after you got into the deal that made you say, this is in trouble. We got to step in on this thing. Yeah. So probably it's the trouble started six months or so into the deal. The sponsor had gotten a call from the mortgage company saying, hey, one of these, uh, it was a five unit. So one of these five units has, is going into foreclosure and uh, is going to be sold. And, um, you know, you no longer will own this. And so that kind of kicked off all kinds of alarm bells of how did this happen? Uh, you know, we've been current on our, on our mortgage payment, everything like that. And it turns out that the title company didn't do their job and extinguish the old uh, mortgage. And as a result, we temporarily, thankfully, we temporarily lost the one building, which the title company eventually uh, went and bought back and made us whole with. <laughs> so what happened to the money? that went to pay off because the, there's a payoff, right? I mean, right. Yeah. So uh, we never found out where there was a long, you know, drawn out settlement. And ultimately uh, we did get damages for that whole period um, because think about it. I mean, if you have a business plan to, you know, do a value add um, on five units and now suddenly you've only got four units to operate, but you're into it for the same amount of capital, it makes things very difficult uh, servicing that loan and so on. And so that was only, frankly, the beginning of the uh, trials and tribulations on that particular deal. But that was the first alarm bell that went off that said, okay, something wasn't done correctly here during due diligence on our side, as well as on the sponsor side. Okay. And so did you step in at that point? Are you like, oh, this is a misunderstanding. Of course, this guy knows what he's doing. We're going to keep rocking. Yeah, absolutely. Give them the benefit of the doubt. They had their plan in place. They were turning two of the units, two of the five, once they got the one back. And, you know, we were off to the races. It was probably another six months before we started asking questions about, okay, well, we're supposed to receive these distributions. We're supposed to receive our K-1s, our our accounting of what's going on at the property. And basically communication had shut down, had all but shut down. And so at that point, we started asking some more serious questions about, okay, were we defrauded, all that kind of stuff. And so what happened? The guy just vanished because things weren't going well? I mean, come on, you give me the cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to leave you hanging there. But this group that we had invested with was doing a number of these projects throughout the city, and they had just gotten overextended. And so certain properties just fell by the wayside. There just wasn't any oversight or accountability. And so as a result, about a year and a half into holding this thing, we had two units turned. We had three units that were vacant and not ready to be rented. And, you know, all of the budget had been expended. And so at that point, myself and my partner, who was another LP on that deal, we jumped in with the blessing of all the other LPs and started to put the actual business plan into motion and do what they were supposed to have done from the beginning. 
So do you do a capital call at that point? How how does this deal get to the finish line? Because I assume you renovated all the units and executed yeah, the full business plan. Nothing was standard about this deal, but I would say as far as the uh, capital to finish the units, yeah, it was a, a capital call to the remaining LPs. Thankfully, I had a, a good reputation with them. I had some rapport with them. And so they were willing to kind of put their trust and faith in me that I would, you know, do what I was supposed to do. And so, you know, after the course of, I would say nine months, and this is, um, you know, this is probably uh, late last year. So winter of 2020. So COVID is COVID second wave is, is just, you know, underway. And so it was a difficult time. Um, I was going there literally, you know, two, three times a week to, to check on the contractors I was sleeping in the property to try to get some work done myself there. You know, it was it was really uh, down and dirty uh, gorilla type tactics, tactics to get it done. What? You're sleeping at the property? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sacrifices. Ultimately, um, you know, after, like I said, six to nine months, we were able to get all five units turned and rented. Uh, I actually ended up staying there for a little while. I was there for about two months, just seeing out the last unit. And so we got them all rented. And, and then since then, we've just been paying down kind of some of these accrued liabilities that had amassed during the time that this wasn't operating. So, you know, no matter what's going on with the property, if you don't have all the, you know, renters in there, whatever, the government still wants their money, right? These taxes still pile up. Um, you still have water bills. You still have these kind of uncontrollable expenses that are, are running. And so we're, we're in the midst now of, it's stabilized, but we're in the midst now of paying down some of those accrued liabilities. You got your operating costs, the fixed <laughs> costs. You got taxes, your yeah. mortgage, you, you got all of that stuff. And, you know, a single family home, you know, you have to pay that stuff if nobody's in the unit because you're at 100% occupancy or 0% occupancy. But in a multifamily, you know, if you get down under 70%, you might have to start digging in your pocket to start taking care of some things, depending on how you bought the deal. So that is wild. So you you take it over. Do you buy the GP out? Like what happens on that piece? Like how do you guys restructure the actual entity and what what's all the background on that? Yeah, this is very much a uh, a relevant topic because that's one of the things that we're doing now is uh, negotiating kind of what that's going to look like on the sale. Because you know it's great that we went in, we did all the the hard work, but it's going to be all for naught if we don't, you know, if the operating agreement remains as it is and, and there's an unequitable split. And so uh, that's what we're going through right now. We're confident that we can, you know, come to some amicable end or, or result, and hopefully we can be able to sell this in the new year and and all move on from our lives hopefully a little bit wiser and, and would, you know, I guess not too much of a hit on our, our capital. So is the GP still in the deal, even though he went dark? Or yeah. She? So, it's, so it's actually two uh, GPs. One of them all out abandoned uh, the asset and one of them um, kind of stuck around, but uh, wasn't able to help to the extent that he wanted to, because imagine we weren't the only uh, deal that they had kind of raised for. And so they had a number of these plates in the, you know, plates spinning here. So they, he was overextended and and I kind of uh, came in as the functioning JP, uh, GP. Okay, 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 okay. So what changes have you had cha- made to your system to make sure that your your dollars don't get kind of hijacked again? Because nobody likes a capital call and nobody likes to send their money in and then not have any communication <laughs> about how the property's doing. So yeah, this was a masterclass in kind of like what not to do as the sponsor of a deal, as the, you know, some people call it a general partner, sponsor, syndicator, all these are synonymous. We learned a ton through that process in terms of, you know, how to do right by investors. 
And so we kind of used that confidence to ultimately move forward and take down our own deal because we thought, okay, if we can turn around a deal where we've got basically no budget and, you know, 40% of units up and running, we should be able to, you know, get our own deal uh, if it starts off on the right foot. So as, as far as the original question, though, what have we changed now as LPs, because we still do invest as LPs, we only partner with people that we have established relationships with, where there's the track record there, not only of doing deals, but also going full cycle on deals. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot more uh, thorough of a vetting process on the sponsor side. Okay. And what do you look for in a sponsor at this point? Because you, you throw out the keywords, track record, full cycle, you know, all these things that people, you know, kind of forget about when it's hot and heavy because, you know, you can go get in 10 deals and not make any money for anybody in the end because the big pop is on the exit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, there's a great book in this and it's uh, Brian Burke, Hands-Off Investor. I always recommend that to anybody who's looking at getting into the space first as a passive investor. Um, and then also is useful to to us as sponsors of deals because what matters to investors matters to us. But what I look for, yeah, I mentioned track record. I mean, I want to know that they've been at this, you know, for a number of years. I want to know what their background is prior to, you know, being in multifamily. I think there are very few people that start off in this realm. So I'd like to know about kind of what makes them tick as well as references. I think, frankly, that's one of the best things that you can do is talk to references of uh, the sponsor, other investors that have invested with them. What has their experience been like? Preferably, like I said, uh, an investor that's gone full cycle. So they've invested with them, they've seen them execute, and then ultimately um, dispose of the asset. And also one thing that often gets overlooked, if it's possible to get in touch with their service partners. So, um, you know, their lender, their insurance uh, broker, people that they work with on a day-to-day, um, because that'll be a really good source of information as to the character of this person and how they operate. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get the next deal done. We have developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they use our system, they create time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Multifamily Kickstart program has proven to be the fastest way to establish credibility and build a profitable apartment portfolio. Hop over to JeromeMyers.co to find out more. Yeah. You know, the the multifamily world is one where everybody says good things about everybody. And so it's going to be really interesting to see if you get the feedback that you actually get when you reach out to those folks. Because nobody wants to, I guess, lose business because they didn't say something favorable. But there are people who have had experiences where they've decided they're never going to do business with that person again. So I think that's what you're looking out for when you reach out for those references. So, Mark, I, I mean... You got another one for me? That one's wild. I, I haven't heard anything like that so far where you know, LP stepped up, become the GP, kind of grab the thing by the horns, get it done, save the day. I mean, <laughs> do you have a superhero cape back there somewhere? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, it just comes down to, you know, putting your head down and doing the work when it's you know required. So I, I think a lot of in, uh, the investors in that deal were really upset and, and rightfully so. A lot of them, you know, I've grown quite close with and I saw it as kind of my responsibility being that I was able to, 
uh, with my, you know, a little bit of real estate background to, to step in. If not me, then who, you know? So that whole thing. But as far as other kind of obstacles that we've faced or, or seminars, as Rod Cleave calls them, yeah, I can talk about another deal that we uh, did right on the heels of, of that. Once we uh, figured out that that deal was going not, you know, sideways and we kind of turned it around, um, that gave us a little bit of confidence and we started to look at, okay, let's do a deal on our own here. And that, you know, obviously we, we had a little bit of a, a learning lesson along the way there. So now we're in Louisville, Kentucky, and you can conquer the world because you just figured out this other one, right? And you made it all work and you go buy the deal and it's perfect, man. You, all the money comes in early, right? There's no negotiations on the PSA. They sign whatever you send. Everybody that's there is there and they're all paying their rent. And now you just got to market in and get out of it, right? <laughs> Not quite. I wish it were that easy. It's not all the, the mailbox money is not all it's cracked up to be. But uh, I'm glad for your group here and, uh, you know, this ongoing series, because I, I really hear a lot of people out there preaching, you know, about how, how easy it is, how simple it is. But there are a ton of people that have learned, you know, the hard way, these some of these mistakes. So on that particular deal, we took over, you know, we had done all of our due diligence. We had, you know, gone to the comp properties. We had researched the area really well prior to us even looking at this deal. And, you know, we moved forward once we, we got the financials, we got through the uh, physical due diligence. And, um, and then upon takeover, first month goes by without issue. We get into the second month and we're seeing that, oh, okay, what we thought were maybe two people that were having payment issues now balloons to 12 people on a, you know, uh, 32 unit property. So fairly significant economic vacancy there. Ouch. And so did you find that they were being dishonest with their financial reporting or they were testing the new guys? I think it was more of testing the new guys. The seller, I don't blame so much as he had just transitioned over to a new property manager. And I don't think they had wrapped their hands around what was going on at the property at the time. And so some of their financials, I don't think necessarily told the whole picture. Um, and so when we took over and assumed that there were, like I said, kind of two delinquent tenants, it ended up being a, a, a little bit larger of a population. And so we've worked through that since, and we're still working through it, frankly. Anything with this multifamily stuff is, it's not, you know, snap the fingers and it's over. It's these solutions take time, but we are working with our property manager to receive assistance locally for a lot of these tenants who are going through financial hardship. Definitely want to sympathize with those who can't afford it simply. Um, but then there are other people who maybe see this as an opportunity, the change of management to kind of take advantage of, of the system. And, and so we'd like to, you know, over the course of the next six months, any problem tenants, maybe, you know, part ways with, with those and then um, get some, get some good financially stable tenants in there. So how'd you find the 32 unit? Yeah. So it was through a personal connection. So we had, uh, we always are looking to grow our network. And I would say that's great for anybody who's starting off in this space is very difficult to find a deal. It's, I would say, comparably easier to find somebody who may have a deal themselves um, that they would be willing to bring you on in some capacity on. So we, you know, had grown our relationships over the last two and a half years or so since kind of being in this multifamily realm. And one of those connections was a guy who was looking to, you know, transition out of a few of their assets locally. And so we, uh, we made an offer and, and it worked out. Wow. The power of network. So it's a true off market deal, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Not something a broker says is off market and then they charge you more than <laughs> what it would be if it was actually on market. <laughs> right. So are you, did you continue to use a property manager that was already on site or did you get a new group? 
Yeah, so we've swapped them out. So I talked about vetting the sponsor as a sponsor to a large degree reliance on your property manager to be your eyes and ears on the, you know, on site there day in and day out. And so just as much as we as passive investors are vetting the sponsor, the sponsor has to put probably even more time into vetting their property manager. Um, and so that's what we did, uh, found a property manager that we were happy with and have been working with them to, uh, you know, mitigate some of these issues going forward. Love it. And so I guess the final question I have, maybe one more after this, you know, do you have local presence there? Because you're in Car- in Virginia, but by way of Jersey. So how do you get a deal in Kentucky funded? <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the reasons why we looked there is we, we wanted um you know, we wanted to look at markets back two years ago when we were starting to establish our target markets. We wanted to look at markets that where we could get a direct flight from our, you know, our home base. So, you know, that definitely met that parameter as well as a number of other economic uh, stuff that we look at. But as far as boots on the ground, we had to form a lot of those. So we formed partnerships with other investors there locally, as well as we ended up forming a pretty good bond with the inspection company that we had used. A couple of the individuals there were were there uh, when we were on site doing due diligence. And so we've been kind of using their services to go by and, you know, do kind of a little bit of a check and balance on our, our contractor work that's getting done there, as well as our property manager, you know, the, the upkeep of the property, talking to tenants, seeing what their uh, reception is like and um, being our eyes and ears there when we're not able to be there. And we are still flying out there on a, on a quarterly basis as well. So did you use agency debt or community bank or bridge? How'd you get this thing done? Yeah, we used agency debt. We had the benefit that at least on paper was uh, stabilized, 90% occupied for the last 90 days. And uh, and so we were able to get some really attractive uh, terms on that debt. And the business plan here is renovation and raise rents or what? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that occurred to us, we always make it a, a point to when we visit a uh, market or a sub-market of property that we're looking at, we try to walk around the area to get a feel because it's one thing to drive through a neighborhood, but it's a whole different thing to walk the actual blocks and streets. And so in walking the area, we saw that this is a really, really healthy uh, market and, and, you know, super close to a bunch of amenities, national retailers, Starbucks, all that stuff. And um, so we're like, okay, well, this clearly has a, you know, a lower uh, quality tenant base for the area. It was surrounded by complexes that were charging, you know, well above what we're charging three, $400 in excess of that more than what we're charging. And so the business plan was kind of proven for us, you know? Okay. And so you're going to upgrade the property. What what kind of gap are you seeing between market rent and where this property is? Yeah. So average rents were around 775. We're now renting out new units at 925 and a uh, $50 water fee. So effectively about $200 more. And that's on the kind of lighter terms. So um, we're going to continue to kind of test the market. But as far as going into it, that far exceeds what our uh, pro forma underwriting was. So those 12 people who aren't paying slash vacated did you a favor. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm but it would spend your CapEx too quickly too. So there's Right, you always want to, yeah, you always want to manage that. It's kind of, at least in our case, um, where it's a new property manager that we're working with and we're out of state. We wanted to kind of toe the line and, and kind of balance not having too many vacancies. Um, at the same time, while, you know, turning enough units to kind of get us to that that pro forma that we had underwritten. And is your PM actually managing the construction and handling that for you? Or you had to figure that out on your own? They are. Yeah. So one of the, one of the, I guess, really important vetting criteria that we had for them was that they would oversee construction. 
And they've done this before on a number of other assets that are of this size. And so we're comfortable moving forward with them for that reason. Man, you sound like the bank. Do you have previous experience of a property this size with this business plan? I remember getting <laughs> hammered the first time I said I wanted to buy a deal and I said I didn't have any experience doing the thing. Mark, this has been amazing, man. Thank you so much for jumping on with me. Uh, last question me. is, what words of wisdom would you have for the listeners? If you had to pick yeah. anything. Absolutely. I mean, as you could tell from my story, I made a ton of mistakes. We'll probably make a ton of mistakes going forward. I mentioned earlier, Rod Cleef, who's someone I look to in this space. He doesn't call them failures. He calls them seminars. And I really like that. I think language matters. So I would say, you know, you're going to make mistakes in this business. Try to mitigate them to the effect that you can. Surround yourself with really high quality people that are doing it. And so hopefully you can sidestep some of those mistakes or listen to Jerome's podcast or YouTube, another way to do that. Um, but, you know, when those come up, work through them, rely on your team. Your team is everything. And, um, you know, just always remember that, um, you know, those mistakes are going to go on to earn you, you know, the, the all kinds of money that you want. And, and ultimately, that's how you grow, right, is encountering that adversity. Beautiful. Mark, this has been a great episode, man. I've learned so much. And I, I just, I'm excited for you guys because you're not scared, right? You're getting in there. You're not giving up. You're going to fight through. And I think that is the game, right? This is about lasting. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So kudos to you for jumping in and, you know, creating your future. Because if you wait for somebody else to do it, you might not like where you end up. Absolutely, man. They say uh, smooth seas make not a skilled sailor. So, uh, you know, get out there, take action. You're getting your stripes. Hey, to the listeners, hopefully you got something out of this one. I did myself. So, you know, until the next time, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it all the way to the end. So that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you. The only way this show grows is if more people know about it. So do me a favor. Take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform and tag me in it. Who knows? We may have you as the next guest. I look forward to sharing the episode with you next week.